Father, we, um, we need you. Every hour we need you. Uh, we can't live this life on our own. This life is, is difficult. It's hard. It's got its joys, but also it's got its sorrows and its pains. And uh, we need you. Especially when it comes to uh, living righteously, living uh, worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We need you. And so, Lord, we help us. We ask you to help us. Holy Spirit, as we dive uh, into this passage again, it's, it's, a, it's a passage that we can read through. It's not that long, but it's, uh, it's very weighty. So I just ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would guide my words, that I would not go above what your word is saying, that I would honor you, and that we would be blessed, changed for your glory. We thank you so much again for this beautiful time you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Our focus uh, this morning is going to be on verses 15 through 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. It's not that lengthy of a passage and so I'm just going to go ahead and read the passage all the way through just get a overview overlay of the land as it were and then we'll go ahead and dive into the passage so uh, Ephesians chapter 5 starting at verse 15 therefore Paul says be careful how you walk not as unwise men but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil so then do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So again, this is a letter that Paul is writing to a church uh, located in a city called Ephesus. It was written at a specific time to a specific people. And yet the Holy Spirit was uh, involved in such a way that everything that Paul writes down is exactly what God wanted the church in Ephesus to hear. And by extension, it's everything that God wants us to hear um, this morning. And so this, again, this is God's word. And so we have the privilege of diving into this passage. And we find this passage really really in the middle of the second half of this letter. The first half, verses uh, chapters 1 to 3, uh, Paul is focusing in on doctrinal instruction. And there are three areas that Paul brings up again and again. The first thing that Paul brings up is Christ is the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. That Christ isn't just dead and buried and that's all he's, he's at. And, you know, people have a memorial shrine that they visit every So many years, you know, make pilgrimages and all that like other religions. No, Jesus has been risen from the dead. He is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is exalted. He is exalted above all rulers and authorities, not only in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. This was incredibly significant for those who were in Ephesus because they lived in constant fear of not only the authorities of Rome itself, but also the spiritual authorities, the the gods and the goddesses, the astral and terrestrial spirits that had sway over fate and their their destiny. They they had a lot of fear about those things. And Paul says, no, Christ is above all of it. Christ is exalted above every name that is named. The second thing that uh, Paul brings up is that the church is not just a building, it is a body. Christ is the head, we are the body, we are all members and we all work together and and we are united in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are a spiritual family made of brothers and sisters in Christ that in this amazing body you have a group of individuals who you wouldn't even expect living life together. People from different backgrounds, different colors of skin, different ways we talk and just completely odd and yet work together. Why? Because the wall of hostility that would keep us separated from one another has been demolished through Christ. 
We are, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet into the world. And third, and this is the most focus that Paul brings up, is the believer's identity in Christ. Your identity is so important. And in the first century, it was, uh, how do you identify yourself? Do you identify yourself as a Roman citizen? Do you identify yourself as an Ephesian, as a part of this family, or part of this tribe, or so forth? Your identity was really important. It's the same thing nowadays as well. Who you are uh, influences what you do. And, and a lot of people, they'll have their identity in what, you know, their, their jobs or family and friends. And when those things kind of go away, they go into what they call identity crisis. You know, older men go through what we call midlife crisis, which is basically an identity crisis. Why? Because you're no longer young. You're old. So you're like, well, my identity was established in the fact of my, in my youthfulness. Am I be able to walk up the stairs without breaking a sweat? Now I can barely walk up one stair. You know, who am I? And so Paul is really focusing in on that our, our identity, if we are truly followers of Jesus, our identity is in Christ. And in chapter 4, he makes a transition. How do we apply this truth to our life? Particularly, how do we, as people in Christ, how do we live? And when we get to chapter 5, verse 1, Paul gives us a summary. He says that we are to imitate God as beloved children. That we, we are already part of God's household. God is our heavenly father. And so we are to mimic our heavenly father. Just as our heavenly father is patient and, and kind to us, we are to be patient and kind. Just as uh, our heavenly father is loving and forgiving, we are to be loving and forgiving as well. And just as our Heavenly Father does not encourage sin, does not justify sin, does not ignore sin or give license to sin, neither should we as his children. And we looked at that last week, verses uh, 3 through 14. That we as followers of, of Jesus, we need to address sin, not only in our own lives, but also in the life of the church. We are to, in a way, turn on the light as children of light, as we walk as children of light, and expose sin for what it is. Not give license for sin, not give excuses for the sin among the body. We are to expose it. And the reason why is because within our body, there are individuals who may profess Christ, but they don't really possess Christ. That they say that they're saved because they're sitting in a pew or in a seat and they're singing songs about Jesus. They, oh, I'm, I'm saved. But they're really not. And their lifestyle and their choices that they make prove that. They exemplifies that truth. And so when we expose that sin, we expose the reality that they need a savior. They need to submit their life to Christ. In addition to that, we also uh, have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who fall into sin. Sometimes give in to the flesh. And, and rather than just, you know, pretending it's not there and just, you know, oh, we'll, we'll make license for it, we deal with it. We'd expose it. Why? To convict them. Now, we don't, we don't, that doesn't give us license to be like a spiritual sledgehammer to them. Paul makes that clear in Galatians that we are to do this with a spirit of gentleness. Our, our goal is to help them not to hurt them, to help them grow in their in their, in their walk. And, and today, in our, in our passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul continues this discussion by bringing up two things. Walking in wisdom and being filled with the Spirit. So walking in wisdom, being filled with the Spirit. So we're going to start with the first section, if you're taking notes. Uh, walking. There, it's working? Yeah, it's working. Okay, walking. Technology is a beautiful thing when it works. Everyone's like, amen, testify that, brother. Okay. So yes, walking in wisdom. This is going to be verses 15 to 17. But why way of kind of getting into this, pre prefacing this, this topic, I want to figure out what is the definition of wisdom. What is the definition of wisdom? Now, I did a little search on the internet, and there's a number of, of de definitions, Webster's Dictionary and so forth. And you could probably do a search and find even a better uh, uh, definition that I came, found. But uh, I like this, this uh, definition. Uh, the definition of wisdom that I found was the skillful application of knowledge in a way that is beneficial. Hmm. Eh, in general, that's pretty good. Wisdom is the skillful application of knowledge in a way that is beneficial. But what do we mean by knowledge? 
What kind of knowledge? Well, this is not academic or intellectual knowledge like mathematics and grammar and understanding, you know, chemistry and all that kind of stuff. That that um, people may say you're you're wise if you have a lot of, if you aptitude in those things. Like, oh, he's a very wise person. But really, it's not wisdom; it's intelligence. They're very intelligent, and it's very possible for a wise person to be intelligent, but not every intelligent person is wise. Just because you're into, yeah, everybody, amen, no, we, we all agree about that. There's no, no problems there. Just because you can have all the intelligence you want, but does it make you actually wise? Case in point, look at uh, Washington, D.C. <clears throat> Anyways, um, again, but yes, I mean, individuals who know a lot, you look at their background, some of these you know, individuals who are serving in leadership positions, they, they graduate top of their class, summa cum laude, you know, compu- uh, not computer science, uh, political science. I mean, they're, they're well versed in what, what their knowledge, head knowledge. But you look at their decisions that they make and it's not wise. So there's a big difference. We're not talking about academic, intellectual knowledge. We're talking about law, knowledge as pertaining to life. Knowledge is pertaining to how life is lived out best. Um, When it comes to the Bible, uh, the Bible brings up two kinds of wisdom. Two kinds of wisdom. There is worldly wisdom and there is godly wisdom. Now, godly wisdom is focused on God. It's focused on the knowledge of God, on the truth of God in his word. In fact, um, look at the passage of Proverbs 9.10. says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one is understanding godly wisdom is focused on god on the knowledge of god and the truth of god in his word worldly wisdom is the opposite worldly wisdom is not focused on god it's focused on man on the knowledge and understanding derived from man's own intellects, man's own, you know, significance. In reality, I like, I, I like to think of the wisdom of this world very much as Judges 17.6 describes it. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the wisdom of this world. That's worldly wisdom. The world, wisdom of this world says you do you. You live your truth. You do whatever makes you happy. You live based off whatever identity or whatever you identify as, whatever group you identify as, you live that out. Again, you do you. It's all focused on you. You chart your own path. You follow your own way, which is really foolish because when you read Proverbs 14, 12, it says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Because, oh, the, the way I'm living, it's, it's right. But in reality, it's foolish. So with this, we understand that worldly wisdom and godly wisdom are not the same thing. They don't complement each other. They don't share any qualities with each other. In fact, they're in complete opposition to each other. Let me show you another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is writing this letter to a church located in a city that embraced knowledge and intellect, understanding and wisdom in the areas of philosophy. And they loved hearing about new things and, oh, this is incredible. But when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus living and dying for us to save us, they said that was that's silly. That's foolish. But Paul, Paul switches it. He says here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. Now, some of you think, okay, we haven't even gone into the passage yet. We're still harping about wisdom. Why are we? We get it. We get it. There's difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is because we live in a society that is just dominated by worldly wisdom. Particularly in our culture, worldly wisdom is very attractive. And we have access to it 24-7. Very, very attractive. You hear people on getting interviewed, people who said, oh, you know, I have a degree in this and this and this and this, and I developed this and I, you know, 
started this way philosophical thought. You're listening to them, and they smell, sound, not smell, they sound, uh, they sound intelligent. They're like, oh, yeah, they make sense. You know, they're an expert in their field. Someone says, you know, this, this is the way you parent. This is how you deal with all your children's angst through all their different life stages. I'm an expert, and this is how it is. And we look at them and go, well, that makes sense. That looks good. Oh, this is how you, you work with your marriage. And if your marriage is on the rocks, this is what you need to do. And I developed this new formula and follow it, and it's really great. God will look at that and say, foolish. It's foolish. If you want a more heavier term, it's stupid. Now, that was in my, my, my household. That's a no-no word. You don't say. You don't say that word. Why? Because it's pretty heavy. Well, I want you to feel the weight of that. If you're following after the wisdom of this world, it is. You said it, not me. <laughs> it's foolish. It's foolish. It's foolishness. And so we have to be careful when, when Paul brings up this idea of walking in wisdom. He's not talking about walking in the world's wisdom. He's talking about walking in godly wisdom. Wisdom that is focused on God, on the knowledge of God and the truth of God found in his word. So now let's go to our passage this morning. Verse 15, Paul's going to say, Therefore, again, he's continuing this conversation of walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Uh, be imitators of God. Walk as children of light. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk. In, in, in the King James, it says, walk circumspectly. It's, it's, that word is made up of two Greek words. It means to beware of, to watch out diligently, with accuracy, with exactness. It reminds me of a, of a sign that I, I, I encountered many years ago when I was a young kid. My family and I were, we were out uh, along the coast. Uh, don't know if it was California coast or Oregon coast, but uh, we were on this hike that eventually went onto this uh, cliffside where you can look at the ocean just crashing against the rocks below. And there, right before you got onto that ridge, uh, there was a sign that says, carefully watch your step. And the reason why is because there was no guardrail, you know, and, and the road, the, the little ledge wasn't that big. And also it was slanted towards the water. And it was like, you know, sand and, and rocks and don't call child services. My parents let me do this, you know. But, it was, but you had to watch where you were walking. You had to watch where you were walking. Very careful. If you didn't watch where you're looking, you could bah, tumble and you ain't coming out of that. You got to be careful. And that's kind of what I, I, I see Paul saying is you wa carefully watch your step. Carefully watch how you live. Basically examine, be intentional. L look at your life uh, um, through a microscope. How are you living? And he gives a comparison here. He says, not as unwise men, not as foolish people, people who lack any discernment, but as wise. But as wise and again, this is the idea of godly, walking in godly wisdom. Carefully watch your step. Some of you deal with certain temptations, but Paul calls this like the, the flesh, the temptations of the flesh, this draw, this pull towards sin. Some of you have different temptations. And how are you living? Are you putting yourself in a position where you're going to be tempted? For a lot of people who struggle with, you know, looking at websites they shouldn't be looking at, how are you living? Are you spending your time alone? Do you have software that deletes your, your, your internet history? You know, because you want to hide your tracks. Like, again, watch, how, watch carefully how you walk in this life. Not as unwise. They don't watch out where they're walking. And because of that, they, they fall into many different problems, many different sins. He says, instead of walking as unwise men, walk as wise. How does this look? Verse 16, Paul says, making the most of your time. 
making the most of your time. That word, that verb, making the most of, could mean to buy out, to redeem, or to rescue from loss. But basically, don't waste your time. And the word for time doesn't just simply, you know, isn't specifically talking about your minutes or seconds, that kind of thing. It's referring to a, 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 a specific period of time, an, an occasion. Uh, some translations will say opportunity. Don't waste the opportunity that God has given you. Don't waste the opportunity that God's given you. I think I'm, I'm reminded of um, uh, James. James chapter 4. Verse 14 says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. This life that you have is an opportunity that God has given you. But that opportunity isn't going to last forever. That opportunity is a vapor. I mean, some of you sitting here you're not promised that next year you're going to be sitting in the exact same seat. I'm not promised that I'm going to be able to walk and stand and have my health next year, tomorrow. This is the opportunity that God has given me right now. How am I using it? Am I making the most of that opportunity? Now, the world would, would say, well, what it means is to, to make the most of, of, of the opportunity that you have is seize the day. You know, seize the day, uh, live in the moment, and do what makes you feel happy, and surround yourself with, with people who love you, and you love them. You know, make sure your life is filled with experiences. And I'm not saying that all those things are in and of themselves bad, but is that what Paul is ultimately saying when he says, you're making the most of your time? I would argue no. A number of years ago, there was a conference uh, that was uh, for uh, people who were serving in ministry, particularly like college, youth, and early childhood. So it was made up of a, a bunch of, you know, college pastors, youth pastors, and family pastors. And uh, it was, you know, weekend. And one of the keynote speakers came up and said, you know, use this word, this verse, are you making the most of your time? You know, he's saying, you know, some, a lot of you in here... Um, are going through seminary. Some of you have just graduated seminary. Some of you have been serving uh, as pastors for many, many years. We're all in different life stages, but we say we follow Christ. That we're all followers of Jesus, that we're all Christian. So then he, what he did is he lifted up his Bible. He says, how many of you Christians have read this book cover to cover at least once? And he didn't ask them to raise their hand. He says, I want you to really examine your heart, your life. When have you, Christian, read this book cover to cover at least once? He says, some of you have been followers of Christ for many years, decades. How many of you have done that? Then he says, well, let me make it a little bit easier for you. He, he ends up um, putting his fingers on Matthew uh, through Revelation. He says, how many of you Christians have read through the entire New Testament at least once. And he goes, well, let me get a little bit more uh, simple here. He held, holds up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And he says, how many of you, this, you know, the Gospels, this is an account of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his teachings. He's, Jesus is the focus of our faith. He says, how many of you have read through the Gospels at least once, all the way through, at least once. That's what I think what Paul's saying when he says, make the most of your time. Those questions we have to ask ourselves. How are we making the most of our time? Have we done that? Some of you have been followers of Christ for many decades. Have you done that? Even the bare minimum, just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four little books. Have you done that? When COVID-19 started and all churches started closing down, shutting down at first, many people in congregations all over the country were realizing that they took this gathering for granted. 
And they, they, you know, they, they, then all of a sudden it was taken away and they couldn't be apart. And, and they were just itching to come back. And so when the church doors started opening, they were just flooding into the churches. Even churches that, you know, that chose not to open up, those congregants decided to leave that church and go to a church that was open. Because they recognized this, what we do here, is really significant. Living life together as a body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ. But now time has gone by, and life is, you know, people have gone back to work, schools has opened up, you know, mandates have been lifted. Life is pretty much going back to normal. And it's interesting, the attendance of churches across the country has now started to drop. You see, prior to that, they recognized the significance of this. And, and when it was taken away, it was even more so. So when the church doors opened, they're like, we're going to take, we're going to make the most of this opportunity because it might be taken away from us. It was already. Let's make the most of it. And all of a sudden life goes on. And then what happens? Go back to the norm way. Yeah. Paul says, don't walk as unwise. Walk as wise. Don't waste your, the, the opportunity that God has given you. When we think of, of sharing the gospel, how many of you, no, even no show, I'm not waiting, uh, asking for a show of hands, but how many of you, within the last two years, how many times have you shared the gospel with someone? How many times? This is the opportunity that God has given you. This is the opportunity that God has given you to, to be a, a voice of reason, to give the gospel the only hope that the world has to offer to this person who may not be alive the next morning. Are you making the best use of your time? That's what Paul's saying. We got to make the best use of your time. Make the best use of your time. Why? Look what Paul says. Um, because the days are evil. Why are we supposed to make the best use of our time? Make the most of the time, the opportunity that God has given us. Because the days are evil. The day full of wickedness and unrighteousness and people who are living in sin who are on their way to hell. Temptations all around. It's like, you gotta wake up. It goes back to verse uh, 14 when Paul recites that little hymn, Awake, O Sleeper. It's like, that's really what the church Church of Jesus needs to hear in America. Wake up, O Sleeper. Realize the days are evil. We're seeing it like displayed on the news every single day. How are you walking? Are you carefully looking how you walk? Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the opportunity that God has given you. I like what Moses says in Psalms 90. He says, um, Psalms 90 verse 12. So teach us, Lord, he's praying to God. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. I love that. It's an amazing prayer. Now, again, it's, it's not to say that the other stuff, you know, uh, you know, being with people we love and care about and all those things, not, it's not saying all those things are in and of themselves bad. Even Paul told young Timothy that physical exercise has some benefit. It does have some benefit. But, spiritual maturity, growing in your faith, in the knowledge of God's word, that not only has benefit for now, but into eternity. Where are we focusing our attention? I love, I love this poem. It was written by a guy named uh, C.T. Studd. He was a stud. Um, (laughs) All the pun, that's my attempt at pun. Whether you thought that was punny or not, I don't know. Um, yeah, crash and burn, yeah, okay. The experts of the puns are like, just pray. Um, C.T. Studd was a, was a missionary, a British uh, missionary who served uh, many years ago uh, all over uh, impoverished countries, particularly India and parts of Asia. And he even actually died in the field um, in 1931. But he wrote this poem, and I just want to read it to you. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. 
only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, that still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true that e'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Just love that. Love that. So Paul says, therefore, carefully watch your step. Carefully watch, therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of the time that God has given you because the days are evil. Verse 17, so then, because of this, do not be foolish. Do not be unwise. Do not be senseless. But understand what the will of the Lord is. How do you understand the will of the Lord? You need a... Yep. If you want to understand the will of the Lord, learn the word of the Lord. And then let me just read some passages here um, that are just so good. Um, Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Probably probably I was thinking of that famous song, Thy word is lamp to... Anyone? Anyone? Yes. Okay, come on. Don't make me be all embarrassed here like I'm by myself. Come on. You all know that song. Yes. There you go. Amen. And I love that. Your word is a lamp to my feet. And the lamp in those days would just basically expose what was in front of them. It didn't show everything around them. It just showed what they needed in order to take their next step. And that's what God's word is. Which is why we need it every single day. We just need it. It illumines just what, okay, that next step. Okay, that next step. And so on and so forth. It's 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 a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I love this one. It's like the theme verse of Cascade Bible Church, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired, and profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work another good one hebrews 4 12 for the word of god is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart literally we don't read it it reads us it exposes us to who we are it sheds light on god's word it's living it's active no other book is like that that's what we have right here in front of us some of you have it on your little phone you have access to it all the time. You want to know the will of God for your life? Pick up God's word. Study God's word. It's right there. It's right there. But how many Christians, the Bible goes on the table and stays there. Instead, oh, Tom Clancy. Oh, Michael Crichton. Oh, this book over here. I like this book of gardening. I'm not saying all those books are bad. But that that becomes the focus. What about this? What about this? When I was in college, there was a book that came out. It was a very popular series, and it was the last of the series. It was a book like that thick. People read it in one weekend. I was like, well, what about this? Ah, well, you know, I read it for class. It's like we have access. I want to show you a video. Hopefully this works. It's it's poor quality because it was done years ago, and it was filmed on this uh, person's phone it was a missionary in china uh working with this underground church and this church did not have a bible all the bibles were confiscated they had no bible and so they smuggled in bibles and for a lot of these people this was the first bible they've ever owned i just want you to see lord when this will work look at their reaction 
There's the Bibles. They're rushing to it. She's saying, this is what we've needed. This is what we've needed all along. So again, how are you with your Bible? These people never had a Bible. You see what was happening when that one guy, he just kept on doing this, kissing it. Why? Because everything we need to live life is right here. Everything we need to live is right here. And again, I, I cannot stress the, the importance. You want to know the will of God, get to know God's word. Get to know God's word. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Make the best use of that time. Study God's word. And now, so that's the first section. Paul talks about walking in wisdom, not worldly wisdom, walking in godly wisdom, carefully examining our walk, making the most of the opportunities God has given us, understanding the will of God. And now we move on to verse 18, where it's being filled with the spirit. Let's look at verse 18. Paul says, but basically Paul's going to give two commands. One's going to be a negative, one's going to be a positive you know, basically replace the negative command with the positive, basically. Um, and do not get drunk with wine. The word drunk could literally mean be soaked like a sponge. Do not be soaked uh, like a sponge with wine. Why? For that is dissipation. That word there, dissipation, uh, could mean reckless living or something that leads to reckless living. Excess, debauchery, uh, wastefulness. It's, it, it's a, a lifestyle that doesn't make the most of the opportunity. It wastes it. So don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Instead, but, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And that verb there, when he says be filled, is in the present tense. And so it's not just something that's to happen once. It is supposed to be continuous. Continuously be filled with the Spirit. And it's also passive, which means we cannot, on our own, fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. It's something that's done to us. And so what this could easily be translated, do not get drunk or do not be soaked up with wine, for that is dissipation, but continually allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit. Now it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, you go back to the idea of getting drunk with wine. When someone is intoxicated, police officers will say they're under the influence. That's what they're doing. They're, 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 the alcohol, they're under the influence of that alcohol. Well, Paul's like, don't, don't do that. In, in the first century, um, it was very common to you know, worship the god Dionysus, who was the god of wine. Uh, they, the, one of the ways they would worship would they just guzzle a whole bunch of wine and get completely thrashed. And they thought, like, how inebriated I was. That's how close to the god Dionysus I am. Really, it was just an excuse just to party hardy kind of thing, you know. And Paul's like, don't, don't do that. Don't allow that alcohol to, to, don't be under the influence of that alcohol. Instead, be continually under the influence of the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to have control on, on, on your life. So when we're drunk, we're under the influence of that alcohol. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're under His influence, His guidance, His control. So we're to continually have that. Now, when it comes to the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, I want to just share a story with you. Um, It's a story about a a couple. Uh, Their names were Ira and Ann Yates. Uh, back in 1926, they purchased uh, a, a huge ranch out in uh, Pecos County, Texas. It was uh, 26,000 acres. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. You know? and, and they worked 
they worked that ranch really, really hard. They tried to make ends meet, but they couldn't. Everything they tried, it just was failing. They, they were struggling for years financially. It got so bad that they went on government assistance, and then there was a threat of them losing their ranch. And so they tried all these different options, and finally Ira uh, contacted the Transcontinental, Transcontinental Oil Company and asked them to do a survey on his property. Now, the Transcontinental uh, Oil Company had done lots of surveys all over the area, including around this 26,000-acre ranch. And uh, according to their map, they realized, well, you know, we, we found a lot of oil on this side, but where the ranch is located, we really haven't found anything. It's, like, dry. But they just indulged the idea, let's just go ahead and check, and they, they did a survey. They dug about 900 feet, and they hit a gusher. It was, it, it was so much oil was pouring out of this well. They didn't know what to do. They, they didn't have anything to, to, to store it. So what they did is they had to create like a canal uh, and dam it so that they, they can let the oil just kind of store up in there until they can bring all their equipment. And when it was all set up, uh, that one well produced 9,000 barrels of oil a day. There were other wells that were, were, were drilled on that property as well. And one of the wells produced 8,528 barrels of oil per hour, which set the world record. So here's this couple sitting on you know, this, this 26,000 acreage of a ranch, struggling financially, on government assistance, going to lose the ranch, not knowing the wealth that is right underneath their feet. Similarly, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, many Christians don't recognize the significance, the importance, or the power that is readily accessible to them. They don't recognize it. Now, when I talk about power, it doesn't mean like, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's not that. Paul, Paul talks about it's divine power to destroy strongholds. It's divine power to get you through this life, to grow you in your faith, to help you understand God's word. You have access to this Amazing power. The Holy Spirit is absolutely essential in the life of a believer, which is why in the Gospel of Luke and Acts, the author Luke, who was a physician, um, brings up the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Even in the ministry of Jesus, he says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And when we get to the book of Acts, the, the early church says that these individuals, these individuals who really, some of them were not educated, didn't come from affluent families, but it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were guided by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they did this. Filled with the Holy Spirit, and they accomplished this. In a, in a society that was trying so desperately to extinguish the wick of Christianity, it was bursting out. It was just going all over, taking off like wildfire. Why? Because Jesus was building his church, and that was an evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the world. And so if, if it was important for Jesus to rely on the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in his life and the early church disciples and apostles and pastors to work, uh, rely on the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, how important it is for us to rely on the work and power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to even blow up your mind even more, just go back to the Old Testament and read places like the, the, the book of um, Exodus, when God, after he rescues the, the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he instructs them to build, construct this thing called a tabernacle, this mobile tent where God's presence was literally going to dwell among his people. And it says after they constructed that tent, God's presence fills that t tabernacle. And his glory is so intense, no one could go in that tent because the, inten the, the, the intensity of his presence then years go by and the tabernacle becomes the temple. They build a, 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 a permanent structure. And we see the same language. God's presence goes into that temple. And it's so intense that the priests can't even go into the temple to do their daily duties. 
fast forward into the New Testament, further on to the epistles, Paul uses that temple language to refer to us who are followers of Christ. He says, you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit indwells us. It's right there. It's right there. So when Paul talks about make the most of your time, of the opportunity, make the most of your time, uh, opportunity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't, don't neglect the work and ministry of the, 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 the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. I mean, Jesus, before he left the disciples, he said, um, it is good that I go. Now, if you were put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, I mean, I would have been like, are you kidding me? You're the Messiah. You're the promised king. What could be better than you present, you know, physically with us? Jesus says, it's good that I go because if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. And he refers to the Holy Spirit as the use of the Greek word parakletos, which literally means someone who comes alongside you to encourage you, to support you, to help you, to comfort you. That is the Holy Spirit. And because of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. It's just so amazing. And so Paul's command is don't be influenced by wine or whatever. You know, don't let that influence you. Instead, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to more and more influence your life. You got to think, what is your go-to when the going gets tough? What is your go-to? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Recreational drugs? Is it pornography? Is it just trying to busy yourself with other things like tinkering in your, your workshop? What is it that you go to when the going gets tough, when time gets stressful. Because what Paul's saying here is your, your go-to should be the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to continually fill you. And I, I, I look what um, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, but I say... Walk by the Spirit. It's another way of, you know, be filled with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Paul kind of uses those, lang- those terms almost, almost interchangeably. But he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not, what? Carry out the desires of the flesh. So Paul says, walk as wise, not as unwise. Make the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. You have a world that is constantly trying to bombard you, trying to tempt you. And Paul says, if you allow the Holy Spirit to have more influence in your life, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I cannot stand when a Christian says, I'm addicted to pornography. There is no such thing if you are truly in Christ. You may struggle with it, but you can overcome it. That's what he's saying. Does that not give you chills? My goodness, whatever you're struggling with, you can actually put it to death. Be done with. You may always struggle with it, but it's never going to be your taskmaster. And the more and more we have the Holy Spirit influencing us, we see fruit generate. Oh, this is such another great passage. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, agape love, sacrificial devotion, the kind of love that Christ displayed to us. Are you having trouble loving people? Because this is the kind of love that Jesus displayed towards people who were unlovable. Do you got any unlovable people in your life? Uh Uh-huh, testify. (laughs) Guess what? The more and more you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, the more and more you allow the Holy Spirit to influence your life, he will help you to love. He will give you the ability to love. Look at that. Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Oh, joy. We have a couple of months. We went through Philippians where Paul brings up joy all the time. Joy is different from happiness, remember? Happiness has to do with the situation. I get married. I'm happy. It's my birthday. I'm happy. A baby's born. I'm happy. Joy is something that can be experienced regardless of the situation. It's what I like to call a resilient gladness. That's what joy is. 
doesn't matter what you're going through. You can experience joy. And the more and more you allow the Holy Spirit to fill your life, you will experience joy. Look at the next one. Peace. How many of you need peace in your life? Paul talks about this again in Philippians. Peace that passes all understanding, that goes beyond comprehension. It doesn't make sense that I should be experiencing peace, but I'm experiencing peace. Why? I don't know why. I know why. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to have more and more influence in your life. Patience. Good Lord. Parents. Patience with our children. Grandparents with your grandchildren. Patience. We need patience. Even with each other. The Holy Spirit gives that. Kindness. Kindness. I've heard some people say, you know, my, my, natural, my natural inclination is not kindness. It's more stern. It's more direct. It's more harsh. But then you would go like, I, I would never know that. You're so, so kind. Well, that's because the Holy Spirit's working in their life. It's really, un, they're uncharacteristic to what their flesh would want to do. It's just kindness. Goodness. Look at this faithfulness. This idea of, of steadfastness. Gentleness. And look at self-control. See, one of the reasons why a lot of churches, especially in more conservative churches, which I would consider our church a little bit more conservative, not, it's, not very, it's not charismatic or really Pentecostal, is um, the reason why a lot of people don't give the Holy Spirit importance in their life is because they look at those televangelists and what happens at some of those churches and say, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. I mean, they're all flopping on the floor. They're barking like dogs. They're drooling at the mouth and they're waving their little banners up in the sky that's just not I don't want that but what is the fruit of the spirit self-control it's self-control the more and more you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you to have more influence in you you produce fruit it's an amazing fruit now Paul moves on to verses 19 through 21. And here, Paul is going to get, bring up uh, five verbs that we call participles. Now, participles, this is an oversimplification, but a participle is an insecure verb. It's a verb that can't stand on its own. It needs, the, it needs to lean up against a stronger verb. We call that the main verb. And here, the main verb is be filled with the Spirit. And so basically what Paul's saying is these things, these verbs, these participles, not only describe the results of someone who's allowing themselves to be filled with the Spirit, but also the means by which they are filled with the Spirit. So, and what's really interesting, it's what we're doing even now. If you like, let's read, let's read. Verse 19, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. Speaking to one another, and it's again, present tense, continually speaking to one another. And the idea, this is not just an internal monologue. This is vocal. We're vocalizing this. We are speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, when it says psalms, um, we don't really, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we really don't know exactly what Paul's meaning here because he doesn't really give it to us. And it's really, in the long run, we just know that these were things that they did in the early church. And Psalms could have referred to the Psalms of David, you know, in the Old Testament that were usually accompanied with music. Hymns could have referred to uh, either other, maybe newer songs, you know, some like in our day, we have hymns and we have praise songs. Maybe it's something like that. Uh, spiritual songs. These are songs that were concerning of spiritual matters. Uh, regardless of, again, what these actually were, we see that the church is worshiping. The church is gathering together. Again, it's one another, speaking to one another. The focus is not by yourself. I just want to make sure you recognize that. It's not speak to yourself because the, the, the life of a Christian isn't meant to be in isolation. It's meant to be in the context of a community, in a body. So we're speaking to one another in Psalms and spiritual songs. There's really no set, you know, style of worship or even format. There's, there's some variety there. But the emphasis really is on content. 
because we're speaking to one another. When we come together and we're singing songs, we're declaring to one another the glories of God and who we are in Christ. That's what we're doing. We're vocalizing that. And so the contents of songs that we sing in worship is really important. Maybe some of you this morning were singing, why are we singing all four verses of this hymn? Well, did you pay attention to some of the words? That's why. Now, the songs may not be your cup of tea. You know, the style may not be what you're, you like, but look at the content. Paul says, as we, as we uh, are allowing ourselves to be filled with the Spirit, we are speaking this truth to each other in these songs. Well, I, I have a love-hate relationship with uh, some of the, 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 the newer songs. Because a lot of the newer songs, I love the melody. I love the music side. As a, my background is more composition. I love the composition. But the words stink. There's really nothing to them. The, the, the idea of these newer songs, some of them, not all of them, but some of these newer songs, it's just to get an emotional response. Now, I'm not knocking the emotion. Motion, music is emotion. That's what one, one of my, 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 uh, my old piano teacher, Mrs. Jacoby, she's already in heaven. She said, music, my dear boy, is emotion. Because it does. It expresses sometimes what we can express, you know, emotions that are going in our heart. But when we're worshiping God, the emotion is just not for, we don't do a worship just for emotion's sake. There has to be the spirit and the truth. There has to be truth. In reality, it's the truth that we sing that really should bring about the emotion. As we sing to each other, sing these songs and sing about the glories of God, man, that truth, that should just, just envelop us of the beauty of who God is and just inspire us. And we should feel joy. We should feel like weeping and crying. I don't know if, were you weeping? Yes, you were. It's funny. Uh, it's okay if I share this. But uh, in our, <laughs> our rehearsal, we were singing the song. Oh, we're going to sing all these. And, and Naomi wasn't even wor- wor- uh, rehearsing with us. She was just <laughs> crying. She's so moved by the truth. That's an appropriate response. It's not wrong. Because it's, again, spirit and truth. It's beautiful. So the content is very important. I love what he says here, singing and making melody. It's like whether you're singing, whether you have a good voice or not a good voice, you're still singing, making a melody. This word here, sometimes it's used for like plucking a stringed instrument, playing an instrument. But notice he says, with your heart to the Lord. I've said this before. Don't just simply, when we sing the words, that one song, I stand, I stand in awe of you. How inappropriate is it for someone to just go, I stand, I stand in awe of you. You're sitting down. No, I understand. Maybe you can't stand up, and God knows that. God looks at the heart. But again, where's your heart? Where is your heart when you're worshiping? Are you just reciting the words? Christ is solid, rock I stand. I don't like this song. I like Phil Wickham, you know. It was just like, <laughs> but again, what's the, what is it? What are you singing on Christ? The solid rock. I stand all other ground is sinking sand that if you are a true follower of Christ, that is true of you. You're on a solid foundation, solid rock. So I love that. Do it with all your heart. And then life. So, so how, how are we to be filled with the Holy spirit as we allow the Holy spirit Show me someone who is worshiping the Lord. A group of believers who are singing these truths, speaking these truths to one another with all of their heart. And I'll show you someone who is allowing the Holy Spirit to, be, to fill them. The next one is by living a life of thankfulness. Look at 20, um, t- verse 20. Always, at all times, on all, every occasion, not just on good occasions, but every occasion, giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. Even when little kids cough like that. The fact that there's breath in their lungs. Giving thanks. Your health may be fleeting, going away. You may not be able to do the things you used to do in your youthful years of life 
But there's still a lot you can be thankful for. Thankful. What are we thankful for? Salvation? That's a big one. Thankful for salvation. Thankful for this church, this church body, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thankful for the Holy Spirit. Thankful for God's word. I mean, you go on, go on, go on. Show me someone who is living a life of thankfulness, an attitude of gratitude, and I'll show you someone who's allowing the Holy Spirit to fill them. So it's by worshiping, by living a life of thankfulness. And finally, Paul says, verse 21, submitting. Ooh, not a fun word, but it's true. Look, he says here, Be, and being subject and continually submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, out of reverence to Christ. Now, this is something Paul brings up in Philippians when he says, don't look after your own, you know, your own desires, your own cares. Look at the cares of others. This idea of submitting literally means to put yourself under or allow yourself to be ranked under another. Arrange yourself underneath someone. Well, I don't understand. I graduated with a degree. They didn't. Who cares? Submit. And it's not just to those who are smart with college degrees. It's, look what it says, and be subject. It's plural. All of you, all of us are to, to willingly subject ourselves to one another. Not just caring about our own needs, caring about others. That way we, we help the body. We encourage the body. We strengthen the body. But also we, we keep the unity of the body. If I'm not living my life based off of my own preferences and my own desires, you know, if, if I did, I'm saying I should say that. If I, if I was living my life wanting to just do whatever I desired, whatever I think should happen, whatever I think is the right way to go, and you're doing the same thing, we're going to butt heads. But if we submit to one another and say, you know what? It's not about what I want. What do you want? And similar, you're saying, well, it's not what I want. It's what you want. You know, they're, they're, that keeps unity. That keeps unity there. So subject yourself. And, and this is actually going to play itself off um, next week. We're going to talk about the, the relationship between a husband and wife. This piggybacks off that, you know, being subject to one another. Just like husbands loving their wives and wives subject, you know, being submissive to their, uh, to their husbands. That's where this is going. And that's what we're going to get to next week. So. Are you carefully looking out how you're, are you carefully watching your step? Are you carefully examining how you're walking, how you're living? Not as unwise, but as wise. Again, not wisdom of this world, but godly wisdom. Are you making the most of your time? The opportunity that God has given you? Are you making the most of it? Or are you just binge watching a Netflix show? Are you making the most of the time that God's giving you? You may not have it. I mean, again, I go back to when it comes to the gospel, proclaiming the gospel message. How many of us have family members who we love very much, friends that we love, coworkers that we love very much? They're not guaranteed in the tomorrow. Are we using the opportunity that we have to share the gospel? I'm guilty of it as well, failing to do that. But we're supposed to do that. that. That's the way of the wise, making the most of our time. Why? Because the days are evil. So are you living that way? Do you understand the will of the Lord because you study the word of the Lord? Do you understand the will of the Lord? Are you continually allowing yourself to be filled with the Spirit? Remember, the way Paul is writing this, he's not saying you need to do these things in order to be saved. He's not saying that. He's not saying you have to do these things in order to achieve your identity in Christ. No, no, no. You already are in Christ. If you've if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're already in Christ. You are already a saint. You are already holy and righteous, not because of your own holiness and righteousness, because of Christ's holiness and righteousness. You already have the Holy Spirit. You're already a child of light. So Paul's saying, 
Live it out. This is what it looks like for someone who's in Christ to live it out. Oh, that's, that's really tough. Oh, yeah, it is tough. We still deal with this thing called the flesh. And doggone it, that flesh isn't going to stop bugging us until you know, God comes back in glory and finally says enough of that. And we're all, praise God, can't wait for that to happen. But until then, we live this out. Not on our own strength, but through Christ's strength. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we live it out. So, we, as followers of Christ, are to continue to walk in wisdom and continually be filled, allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I want to thank you again for this, this, this word. It is an, uh, your word is truth, and it is amazing truth. Thank you, Lord, that is a truth that we can, we, is a firm foundation, we can place our lives on it. And Lord, uh, we admit that sometimes we do not walk as wise, we walk as unwise. We don't walk in a way that's becoming, that is worthy of our calling, but we walk sometimes that is unbecoming, that is not appropriate. And so we ask for your help. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can live righteously so that we can say no to sin and yes to you thank you so much for the amazing gift of your word lord may we cherish it just as those those that that small church in in china that underground church cherish their bibles lord may we have the same uh, view of our bibles of your word Recognizing is all we need, has everything we need to live this life. Lord, we thank you so much for um, bringing us together. Thank you, Lord, that we have this, the freedom right now in our country to, to speak in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. And so may we sing and may we as the musicians make melody with all of our heart to you. In closing, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please uh, go ahead and stand as we um, close with a song that is uh, an oldie but